Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. What happens is she's in the living room uh, by herself, and all of a sudden I hear this blood curdling scream, and I go running in there. My daughter is on the floor with her phone in front of her, and she's shaking. She's just shaking like this, holding her phone, and she's like, "Daddy, daddy, daddy!" You know, and she's trying to dial nine one one, and she can't even dial nine one one because her hands are shaking so bad. And she's like, my friend's trying to kill herself right now. You know? And she's like, I just got a message from her. She's killing herself right now. You know? And so I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, peace be still. You know? I said, you can't hear God clearly if you're not at peace and rest. Take a deep breath. Let's ask Jesus what to do. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. Today we finish up our conversation with Tim Bentz, part two of that conversation, where he gives us a lot of practical advice and just deep wisdom from his years of friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also some fascinating stories that he talks about of how God has worked in just dramatically difficult situations like you're about to hear. And wow, it's just really a blessing to be able to, in a way, sit at Tim's feet and just soak up some nuggets of wisdom of how to walk this walk with the Lord in this difficult and dark world. I think in watching over our heart is the most important thing. And the first thing we need to understand is we're a spirit, soul, and body. And for the the average person in the world today, they only understand the soul and the body. They don't. They're not engaging with their spirit at all. 
Um, in fact, the word says that our spirit is dead. It's, it's, it doesn't mean it's physically dead. It means it's lifeless. It doesn't have its own personality active. It's not functional. So it's like laying in a coma, but it's inside you, you know. And when you get saved, the, the scripture says that God quickens our mortal spirit. That, that word quicken means he shocks it back to life, you know. So he brings it out of the grave. He, he activates it again to be alive. Now, because we're so not in tune with our spiritual life, then we default to our soul and our, and our flesh, which is our mind, will, and our emotions, and then our physical being. And so almost everyone's um, understanding about themselves relates to how I think or how I feel or, or you know, my mind, my will, and my emotions, and uh, or my physical being. And if if it hurts, if I get hurt physically, I hurt in my heart also. But um, first of all, we've got to learn to to put on God's nature. And so the the elementary side of knowing Jesus is to become like Him, and He helps us. He wants to help us. So he doesn't do that in a condemning way. Uh, I've never had him say, you dirty, rotten sinner. You know, I wish he hadn't have done that. It's always, how do you feel about that? Or, you know, what do you think about that? Well, well, I shouldn't have done that. That that was bad. Okay, well, let's change it then. And he wants us to be like him, but he's such a gentleman. Uh, he's so kind and caring and loving. So uh, the first thing I found when I began engaging with God is I didn't love like he did. Uh, I got I got uh, a little frustrated, a little upset with a couple of other kids. Um, didn't always like, you know, something that um, if it wasn't the way I wanted. Uh, I had this intuitive ability to know where other people were hurting, and I didn't know why I knew that or how I knew that. But then nobody knew when I was hurting, you know, and so that was frustrating. So I, I went to Jesus and I said. I've discovered something that I'm not like you. You know, I don't, I don't love like you. And I said, uh, if somebody does something wrong to me, uh, it's hard for me to love them the way you love them. And I said, uh, would you help me with that? And the first thing he did, first thing I heard was, well, do you love yourself? I was like, well, no, I don't think so. There's a lot of things about me I don't like. He said, well, why would you not like something that I made? Why why would you not want to celebrate what I delight in? Because you were fearfully and wonderfully made, and I'm ecstatic about you. So why would you not feel that way about you? Well, I don't know. I guess I'm not seeing myself the way you are. So I said, would you show me my heart then? I want to know what it is about me that you like. You know, don't just tell me you love me. Show me what it is. You know, and um, he did. He showed me some really amazing things about myself that I had never thought of, and nobody else had ever pointed out. But then he also showed me some things that were detrimental. Like, well, you got a few things in there that uh, aren't what I created. You know, let's let's deal with that. You know. So uh, this stuff isn't always demonic, but if I'm not acting right, if I'm doing something contrary to the nature that God created me with, 
then I'm opening usually a door for the demonic realms. And so then I might start having trouble. And if I don't respond to that trouble when it's first engaging with me, it can become a part of me. So that's when somebody becomes uh, possessed or oppressed by a demonic entity, it's because they first opened the door to it and then they fellowship with it in some way, not necessarily knowingly, but by not uh, turning away from the thing that, that uh, is part of that other nature. So we have to learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And I have to sometimes see in myself where I've opened a door to something like that. Lots of people in the body of Christ have been taught to do spiritual warfare, but they don't always do a good job at closing the doors. So we start trying to kick the devil's teeth instead of shut the door. And it's kind of exciting to some people think that I can go to war with the devil and I can beat up on him. Well, all right, but then he's beating up on you too. And often that kind of spiritual warfare gets gets, some... backlash or gets a response it's just it's an endless cycle of fighting and then getting waylaid and then filing and then getting waylaid and winning a battle and then and then losing a battle and so when i discovered that these things are all rooted in something in my heart and if i deal with my heart then i don't have to deal with the enemies of god and so uh, first one with me was like all right then how come i don't love people is that because I just don't know how to love or is that because there's something in my heart that I've opened the door to that's not the nature of God? Well, if you hate your brother, it's like the sin of witchcraft. Well, what does that mean? How is that connected? Do you realize that if, if I just hate you secretly and I never say it, if I just say it in my heart, but I never voice it, if I never act, you know, if I just avoid you and just make sure you're not in the room when I'm in the room because I don't like you, you know, that that hatred can release into the city a, a spiritual dynamic that unleashes stuff that's demonic. Yeah. It's like the sin of murder, too. Uh, hatred and murder are almost the same. So hatred towards somebody is murder, according to Scripture, even if you don't physically kill them. So what am I doing? By my hatred, I'm releasing something in the spiritual realm that is killing their spirit. It's, it, it depresses them. It makes them think they're not worthy. It makes them have difficulty. It, it may even shut up the heavens over them because if I'm retaining some sin that they did, then God may retain it until I forgive them. That's a dynamic that we really need to start preaching more about because we don't realize that probably the key to revive our whole cities and transform them already is in the house of God, but we're not conducting ourselves very well. So I discovered this in my own life. I was dealing with um, a lot of demonic stuff. Uh, some of it was what I was seeing and engaging in the spiritual realm, and I didn't like it. I wanted all that to stop and heaven to increase. I was like, I I don't want to have to get through the demonic stuff just to have an engagement with God, so why am I seeing all this stuff? And the more I prayed into it, the more Jesus pointed out to me that it was things in my heart that weren't right. 
So I'm I'm creating an opportunity to engage with something in the spiritual realm, but it's actually coming out of me. So hatred is is one thing. I had had one guy that I just I did not like him at all when I was in grade school, and I didn't know why I didn't like him. You know, I couldn't really tell you that it was because he did something to me. He just he just everyone else I loved, but that guy I didn't. But Jesus wouldn't let me get away with it. He's like, you know, I want you to love him the way I love him. So I repented and nothing changed. I repented again and nothing changed. I went to him personally and repented to him. And a tiny bit of things changed. You know, I mean, I felt a little bit better and I had a little bit of a, just a tiny little ounce of, okay, I guess he's okay, but I still don't like him, you know. And then I said, Jesus, I'm trying to fix this and it's not working like I, I don't have your heart in this. I don't know why. What is it? And Jesus said to me, you've not seen him the way I made him. You've only seen the things you don't like. So you're judging him based upon the outer appearance or what you've heard. And you're not judging him based upon my, my design of creation. So he said, come up here and sit with me, and, and then I'll let you look back down on his life, and you're going to see what I see when I made him. And I got a download that was amazing. Like, this guy was so incredible. I was like, oh, Jesus, I mean, how do we get that guy fully functional in the city? Like, we need all that stuff. You know? And Jesus said, well, you're the key to unlock that. When you love him, it'll unlock. And so I just went to him, and I said, look, I saw you from the heavenly realms, and here's what I saw. Now, what I actually voiced was his identity, who he was. This is who what God made. This is how he made you. This is what your name means. This is what he created you for. This is who you really are. And I discovered at that moment that I was the first person that had ever told him who he really was. What he heard every day at his home was, you're never going to amount to anything. I wished I'd never had you. You're the worst son I've ever known. You know, uh, he heard nothing but but evil spewing out of his household towards him. And then the one Christian that was nearby didn't know how to love him. Well, um, when I repented for that, um, that that time, because I, the key was his identity. Then I repented to him again. That time it came out of me different. I, I, I was broken. I was remorseful. I was seeing that I'm the reason why he's still locked up because I won't let him be what God created him to be. And I took those shackles off of him. I, I repented fully in my heart. That's when I believe my spirit engaged. And then I blessed him. You know, I blessed him to be who God created him to be. And we're still friends to this day. Uh, he transformed phenomenally. But I, I'm, concern, cons, I, I'm concerned about this topic because we think that we do that by saving people. If we can just get them to go to church and just get them to change and just get them saved, then they're going to clean up. But the reality is a, a lot of what may be detrimental in their life is is our attitude towards them because we don't see them the way God sees them. Yeah. Now, God took that a little further later. 
um, I, I got pretty free of that. I, I went a, a, a quite a while without feeling like I hated anybody until somebody did something really, really wrong to me. And it was damaging and hurtful. And it was a false, it was a false accusation, but it was very damaging and hurtful. The main thing in this was that I was trying to deal with an individual and I was not realizing that I'm actually dealing with the principality in my city. And it's using a vulnerable person that doesn't know who he is, that's not right with God, that's got some stuff messed up in his life. All of that's true, but if I just try to, you know, fix it as an individual problem between he and I, it doesn't transform me and it doesn't transform the city. But if I start looking at it as why is this happening in the spiritual realm? What is it about false accusation that is giving license to this? This was my discovery that this may not be an individual problem. This may be a community problem. And again, we 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 need to learn how to deal with it on both levels. So, wow, wow, wow. So I want to take it home, literally home. Um, I've got two boys, um, and you know how teenagers are. One of them is a teenager, and I've I've been there, where and you kind of hit on it when you were growing up, where you're. Part of you is longing for the Lord and part of you is carnal and want to do carnal things. And then obviously some, some children, um, choose to forsake and from, from what I can perceive as a parent, I'm not seeing a heart that's wanting to pursue the Lord. All I'm seeing is the desire to consume carnal things, carnal, carnal books, carnal video games, carnal ad- entertainment, it's all carnal. And as a parent that's wanting to be better in my relationship with the Lord and wanting my children to follow Christ, um, I know me praying for my child, my children is, is great. I know you spoke on blessings. And that's definitely some practical areas right there that I could be doing more of. Um, because I know it's a heart issue. You mentioned that earlier. You know, the, the, the effect of what is, he's doing is because he doesn't have the heart. Or maybe there's an identity issue because he doesn't really know who he is. So... I wonder if you could speak to parents and and how they interact with their children and and influence them in a how can parents be better parents when it comes to leading their children to Christ? That's a big one right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, I think the average uh, teenager today is bored with everything that we've taught them about the spiritual realm, you know, because we have not given them 
this vast, amazing, wonderful, incredible space that God's inhabiting and he wants to engage with them with. And it's more fascinating than anything they're going to deal with on the world. And they don't know that because we didn't tell them that that was what was available. We instead took them to church. And all we do at church is usually tell them what we want them to know, but they don't engage with it most of the time. They haven't had the experience. They don't actually experience it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good thing. They're going to learn some good things. But And school does the same thing. We're dumbing down their experiences, but feeding them a whole lot of information. Eventually, they go into overload. It's just like I don't want to. I don't want to hear anything else anymore because I just want to love life. I just want to enjoy life. I just want to, you know, do what I want to do because they're trying to discover the universe and how big it is. Now, if we took that same principle back to their earliest childhood and say, "Look, you, you, you knew God before the foundations of the world." Before he created any of this stuff, the stars in the heaven or the, the the earth that you're experiencing or this place that we dwell, he knew you. You know, what was he saying about you? you know. Do you remember? You know, <laughs> what happens to a three year old when you ask that kind of question to? You know? I guess they look inside it, and they're trying to remember. That's right. They're going to go into their spirit and they're going to answer you with probably what's going to sound like an extraordinarily profound answer, you know, because it will come out of their spiritual life, you know. But by the time they're six, if we've not done that, then that part of their spirit that was able to engage easily with God will begin to diminish and it will close off and they'll become soulish and carnal. And then we start dealing with the child instead of dealing with this wonderful, amazing new creation that God sent into the world as a gift. Now, part of our um, ability to work around that and come out of that is we got to realize that their name is, is important. Did, did we name them correctly? Does their name fit what God created them for? Number one thing we can remind a child of is what their name means. You know, if they were named correctly, and sometimes a parent just does that and doesn't even know they did that right. They just come up with a name. They don't know how they did it, and somehow God God helps us with this. But in Scripture, a few times you see a kid born, and God will change their name when he begins engaging with them because he wants to make sure they know who they are. So the name is always supposed to match what they were created for. And reminding and being reminded periodically of what I was born for is very helpful to me to stay on track. So when I get off a little bit, um, that's what brings me back, is reminding myself what I was, what I really want to do with my life. Now, the word repentance falls into that because the word repentance in, in English, it means to us to stop doing something wrong. You know? But the, the root word repentance in Hebrew means to go back to being who you really are. So it's it's got much more attachment to identity than it does with your actions. You know? 
If you're doing something contrary to what God wants, if you're sinning, that's not who you were created to be, so you're not being who you really are. If we just tell them to stop sinning, they'll just take that as a uh, yeah 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 you're just being negative you just you don't like me you don't you don't let me do anything i want to do but if we say well who are you you know is that what you were born for is that what you were created for they'll think about it a little bit and usually they'll stop because they realize it's not who they really are you know that's repentance you know now the other thing is um, i'm going to interject and and in telling your children who they really are, you're in the process of blessing them, right? Right. You should be. You should always be adding blessing to because it. you're you're prophesying and, over them. You're speaking over them. This is right. your identity. This is your future. For every one for every one thing that you point out to your child that they didn't do right. You ought to counterbalance it with ten things that commend them for who they are and, and for what a wonderful thing they how they're and, living. And husbands life. to wives and wives to husbands. <laughs> same thing. Same thing. Imagine that. It, it'd be you, a, create, you create what you speak. What you speak to is what you you're create. Create a peaceful. Uh, uh, you're gonna like your rabbi's home with the blessings right. being sought out and the wife being happy because she's been. She's slaving in the kitchen, and she's right. happy because her husband just blessed her. I I wonder. Wow that that just reminds me, guys, of the power of the word stuff that we talked about, Luke. What twenty five episodes ago, or whatever, with Doctor Emoto's um, experiments and things like that. Boy, right. you know some of the, some of the times in in our home, you know, we were like wow, the whole night is ruined because one thing spiraled out of control and somebody responded to something negative with more negativity. And yeah, we're giving air to the, that, that environment of uh, destroying life and encouragement versus building in life and encouragement. Right. And wow, how, how, how much different would it be like what you just said? But there's also another key to that, Pete. When we get carnal and we realize where we erred, the power of forgiveness. So then yeah. you can go in that same atmosphere. You can clean it up with forgiveness. Yes. You can change that atmosphere. Exactly right. Yeah. And we've seen that happen. And I often marvel at how any marriage stays together that isn't Christian. And a lot of them don't. Without the Holy Spirit, because it's it's incredible. It never ceases to amaze me. Five minutes later, after my anger said I'm totally in the right, five minutes later, the Holy Spirit goes, oh, that was pretty much all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I think sometimes we're creating our own problems that we're having to deal with because we're not making room for the Spirit to grow. Now, so uh, I want to take a child, uh, any child, especially if they're mine, though, and I want to learn how to grow their spirit so that they step fully into what God created. Expound on that. How 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 do you how do you maybe you're about to say it? How do you grow your children's spirits? Well, b blessing is one of them. Uh, you know, speaking into it, we're, we're calling it out. 
and we're asking for it. Give you one example. Uh, a few years back, I was uh, on on staff at a local church, and we had a, one of our young men that was high school age. He brought one of his best friends to church and was trying to get him saved. And he forewarned us. He said, this guy's really messed up. Uh, he's got just tons and tons of problems at home. DHS is already involved. They're probably going to take him from their house. Um, there's drugs. There's all kinds of problems going on in his parents. And um, he's just a total mess, and he needs to get saved. But he's been abused, and he's got a, you know a crack house, and he's just got a lot of stuff going on. So I don't know. I don't know how... He basically was like, he's going to be a mess to deal with, but we got to get him saved. Um, kid was only 15 years old and was living and had been living in that his whole life. So first time he's ever been in church. And uh, he comes up to the front for prayer, didn't come up to get saved, just came up for you know us to pray for him because his home was so messed up. And uh, seven different leaders gave him a little instruction, good little thing to do, little advice and counsel, and then prayed for him. Everything they said was good. <clears throat> and he just like, thank you, thank you. And then we prayed. Came around to me and Jesus said, um, let him lay hands on you and prophesy to you. I was like, Jesus, I don't think he's even saved. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm going batty now. That doesn't sound right to me. And uh, Jesus said, uh, tell him that I created him to be very prophetic and that that will help him get through the like, things he's going through. So if he'll ask me for help, I'll give that to him. And so but he said, I don't want you to tell him what he needs. I want you to tell him to give it to you. And so I said to him, um, look, Jesus told me that he's given you a lot of prophetic ability and you don't know that. So if you'll ask him for help, he'll, he'll, he'll save you and give you the Holy Spirit and help you do that. And I want you to lay hands on me and give me a word from God. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, I don't know how to do that. I said, I know you don't know how to do that. I, I didn't know how to do it either. It's God that enables you. So I said, let me just help you, but I'm not going to give you counsel. I want you to give me something that God wants you to give me. And um, so he stood there kind of speechless because everybody was standing around him thinking he's the mess. And Jesus is standing there saying, oh, he's actually, he's actually okay. You know, you need a word from him. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I said, ask Jesus to help you. And so he just called out. He said, Jesus, I, I need help. You know, um, I, I don't even know what being prophetic is, but help me do it. That was his words. You know? And I said, ask him to forgive you for anything that you need to forgiveness for. You know? So he said that. I said, ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He goes, what's the Holy Spirit? I said, you'll figure it out in a few minutes. Just ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so he asked for that, you know. And then I picked his hands up and I put his hands on my head and I said, I know you don't understand this, but it helps if you're touching somebody. Um, just say whatever God tells you to say. <laughs> and again, he says, I don't know what God, I've never done this before. I said, it's okay. God will enable you. So, and about three minutes of quiet, 
he just sat there not knowing what to do. And then all of a sudden he lets out about 15 minute prophetic word. That was one of the most profound words I've ever received in my life. Now, what does that mean? What I just described is activating a child in what God created them to do. And he stepped into salvation, being filled with the spirit and who he was in Christ just in a few minutes. But he didn't do it because we told him he could. We, he did it because we received it. And one of the things that we forget as parents or as leaders is we forget sometimes to re- receive from a child what is always coming from God. You know? And we don't give them their voice in the house. We don't give them their place in the body of Christ. We tell them to wait till they're grown up and then they can do all that. And so along the way, they learn everything they can from the world and they learn very little about what God wants uh, actually created them for. And we, we feed it to them as information. We don't, we don't ask for it so that they can step into it. If that makes sense. Uh, You have to have some training. I'm not saying that it always is that easy with every kid, but this guy just, he went from being in darkness to being in light. He stepped into a spot with Jesus that was incredible. And then he went home with the Holy Spirit. And he then began to prophesy over his house, you know, which transformed his whole house within a few weeks. You know, because he really did have a capacity to hear God. He just, nobody had ever told him that. You know. And so um, I went back home to my own just thinking about that later. And I thought, well, gee, I I know a lot of teenagers and I've not done that with all of them. And I've not done that with the little kids. So maybe I need to give them their voice in the body of Christ. And um, the next Sunday I was at a different church and was, was preparing to speak. And there was a little boy playing in the back of the, of the church, he was behind the pew with his little, uh, had a little uh, racetrack on the ground and he was running these little matchbox cars around the racetrack. And he wasn't being noisy, but he was just back there doing his thing. And I'm supposed to speak and the church is already worshiping and I'm supposed to get up there in the pulpit in a few minutes. And Jesus said to me, go back there and play with that little boy for a few minutes. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to play? He said, just go back there and play with it. All right. Now, at that time, I was working for um, a minute. I was doing full-time ministry, also working part-time for a school. And I I hated my job for the school. I was just doing it because God told me to do it. I didn't want to do it. Uh, my contract was up and I was begging God to let me out of it. Please don't make me accept this contract for another year. I'm, I'm done with it. I, I didn't like the politics of the school, but I loved hanging out with the kids. And uh, I just complained to the Lord. I said, Jesus, I've done this for three years. I really don't want to do this another year. You know, I, I don't need the income. I, I just need to get out of this and don't, don't make me do this one more time. <laughs> and uh, so, I, but I had made a decision. I, I, told Jesus how I felt. I was waiting for him to tell me what to do. And um, anyway, I go back and I lay down on the floor and I asked this little boy, are you playing with matchboxes? And he's like, yeah. I said, you know, wow, that's like a really cool Ferrari. You got out, you know how to drive it. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm winning all the races. You know, and he's going around and around the track and he was five years old. 
And so I said, uh, well, you got anything else in there that I can play with? And he looked at me, he goes, yeah. He opens up a little suitcase with a bunch of little cars in it. And he reaches in and he pulls a school bus out and he hands it to me. Oh, good. <laughs> I said, don't you have a Maserati or something cool, Lamborghini, something in there? You know, give me something cool. I, I, I want to race you around the track. He goes, no, this is what God wants you to have. Uh, out of the mouth of babe. Ouch. And I'm like, now I'm realizing that uh, Jesus trapped me. You know? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, I call this sneaky Jesus. You know? so, yeah. so, so I'm like, Lord, I don't need a prophecy from a five-year-old. I just want to, you know? and Lord said, why not? You know, I mean, literally, why not? Why can he not prophesy? He already knows me, you know. Why can he not function in the body of Christ as a part of the body? He already knows me. Where does he fit in the body? You know, I was like, well, you know, I don't know where he fits, but when he grows up, we'll figure it out. He's like, well, I want him to fit right now. You know? So I just looked at him and I said, why do I need the school bus? And he looked me right in the eyes intensely. He's like, you don't want to be in the bus anymore. But Jesus said that he's giving you every name of every child moving into the territory. And your job is to pray for them until they know until they know him. So you're occupying like a Joshua, the territory of school. I'm like, I hated the job because of the the practical stuff they made me do. But then I realized, wow, this actually, he's actually right. I have a list at my desk of yeah. all the kids that are enrolling in this school for the next year. I know them before the school knows them. And you said that's um, one aspect that you liked was the interaction. Yeah, and I was like, all right, well, Jesus, I can turn this into prayer and I can do that. But um, I, I just... I got up off the floor. I thanked him for the school bus and uh, he gave it to me. I still have it. And uh, as I'm walking back up the aisle, I just was repenting. I said, Jesus, I've not given the children uh, their place in the body of Christ as a leader. I don't know how to receive from them what you've already gifted them. I only know some things that we need to help them with and help them learn and teach them. And we're trying to train up the child in the way they will go. When they're old, we hope they won't depart from it. But I said, I, I must not be receiving a vast part of your body. It's not functional because I'm not acknowledging it and receiving it and valuing it. And I was repenting. You know? So as I got up to the front then, um, I preached probably one of the most profound messages I've ever given in my whole life. And at the end of that message, uh, the whole place just rushed to the altar and people were wailing at the altar. There was a phenomenal amount of repentance going on. And this same little boy comes skipping down the aisle like a fun little, like, like little kid. He was just skipping down the aisle um, like he was happy and he was the only one not crying in the place. And uh, he comes up to me and I, I said, you know, I said, do you do you want your school bus back or do I get to keep it? He says, no, you, you're supposed to keep it. And he looks at me, he goes, he just hugs me. And while he's hugging me, he says, do you really believe what you just preached? Yeah. <laughs> I said, 
Well, yeah, I believe it. I mean, I've fasted and prayed, and I've carried this message for a while. I wouldn't have spoken it if I didn't believe it. And he's, he's like, Mr. Benz, if I really believed what you just said, I'd walk across a mile of broken, shattered glass on my hands and knees to tell my friends about it. And then he turned around, and he skipped back down the aisle like a little deer jumping in the forest. And I was so crushed by that. I was like, what in the world did that kid just say to me? What does that mean, Jesus? What do I do with that? You know. Hmm. And um, next thing I know, I'm on the floor wailing and weeping because I'm realizing, man, I don't love my friends like that. I don't have that depth of love in me. I, 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 would I sacrifice on that level to bring somebody else to Jesus? Yeah. Um, now, I, and God never said to me, you're going to have to do that or that's something you're going to experience. It was just his heart was speaking with the language of a child, but he understood the commitment of lay your life down for somebody else. You know? And I was falling short of that, so I repented for that. Um, my point is that um, the next passage I was engaging with Jesus with in the scriptures was Acts chapter 2. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. There were probably more children in that room than there were adults. There were so many, in fact, that Peter came out of that room saying, this is the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied. See, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Yeah. We, we, just, we don't read the scriptures correctly often because we process them with an adult brain and then we go into teacher mode when we think we're around the kids. And one thing that I've discovered from, from that is that we can activate other parts of the body by receiving them, you know. Uh, sometimes they don't know who they are. They don't know what gifts they have. They don't know. They don't even know God wants to use them that way. But when we give them their voice and we say, you know what, I want you to pray for me instead of me pray for you. I found that sometimes somebody that's really in a mess and trying to figure life out, when you ask them to give something, they'll step into who they are. and Something profound will come out. And then they'll also get the keys to deal with their own mess. That went one step further for me. I could take that home, too. Um, I, I had a couple of teenagers that were very close to me. They were, they were um, just looking to me like a spiritual father. And um, one of them comes up to me, and she says, Mr. Benz, um, I don't know how you'll receive this, but the, the church that you love, that you've given your life for that you just you you just adore doing the work of ministry. She said, I, "I just want you to know the church that you love is killing me. I I don't want to come anymore. And I feel bad because I'm trying to say this to my mom and dad, and they're telling me I need to repent. But she she said, "Do you see?" what I see, and I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I know you have the Holy Spirit. I know you've got a lot of gifts in the Spirit. She said, can you see what I see? And I said, well, what do you see? She said, do you really want me to call it out? It doesn't look good. I said, yeah, tell me what you see. 
And she just, she said, that person over there has got this going on. That person over there has got this going on. That, that deacon over there has got this going on in their life. She said, and she started pointing out really bad, sinful, nasty stuff that was in almost all of the adults in the room. And she said, most of the teenagers don't want to be here anymore because the, we have a higher level of discernment than what many of the leaders in the body of Christ do. And we can see the hypocrisy in God's house. But she says, I'm not complaining about that. I don't want to be here because I'm starved for the presence of God. She goes, I want what you have because you engage with God in the heavens. I want that. But I don't want to be a part of this hypocrisy anymore. And I just, I was so crushed by that. I was like, oh my gosh. What are we doing? Um, I think what we think church is supposed to be, we've made it a teaching model instead of a heavenly model. And we often have our homes this way too, where we we don't realize that we sort of default to this in our homes where instead of it being a functional family, it becomes this, I feel responsible for my kids that I'm supposed to teach them and make sure they do the right things. And and I don't realize it, but for the most part when they're home, I'm in teacher mode and not dad mode. And I'm trying to help them. My good, my intentions are good, but I'm trying to give them information that I think they need to do the right things. And sometimes I'm just supposed to love them even when they're broken. And I'm supposed to let them fail. And I'm supposed to help them understand what life is all about and know who they were created to be. And I'm supposed to provide an atmosphere of the presence and glory of God so that they're never starved for his presence. And I don't know how to do that very well yet. I'm still working on it. Um, but I realize that the if, if a child steps into the presence of God for just a few seconds, they'll be transformed. But they we could teach them for 30 years and not change them. Right. And so to, to help somebody engage with the heavenly realm, is more important to me, much more important to me now than it was when I was younger. And uh, now we've got a lot of interesting things going on. There's, um, you know, we're learning a lot of technique on how to do that. Lots of people are speaking into this subject. First of all, I want everybody that listens to this to think that I'm not mad at the church. Uh, I I don't, I love God's house. Um, And this girl wasn't mad at it either. she was crying for help because she saw something that was truthfully wrong. And if she had left, though, and not said what she said, I can promise you most of the leaders would have thought she was walking off into sin. Right. Right. And she was walking out into glory. She was trying to get into the place where God dwells. And so I I took her accusation to Jesus. And he said, his answer was, why do I have to stand at the door and knock to come into my own house? No child 
should be starved for the presence of God when there's 3,000 churches in their city. We've not brought the atmosphere of heaven, but we have brought something that we're saying is God, and the kids are figuring out the part that really is holy and the part that's defiled, and they're trying to separate them because they don't want something that's going to mess them up. They've got enough problems already. They want some answers, and they want life. So Jesus didn't come to give us church. He came to give us life and life more abundantly, and we've got to figure out how to impart that to the next generation. So when I sat down with a few of the kids later, just one-on-one, I started talking to the teenagers and the younger kids, and I said, what do you like most about um, when you come to church? What is it that you like most? And what they liked is most is when they got to do something. When, when we, we, we let them participate in something. Yeah. Uh, they hated sitting in the pew and just listening. Well, in Acts, um, the word says everyone has. Whenever you come together, everyone has something. Let everyone give what they have. Some it's going to be a psalm, some it's a hymn, some it's a, a, an exhortation, some a teaching, some a prophecy, some an interpretation. But we're supposed to be like this orchestra where everyone's instrument is fully engaged with the presence of God and something comes out that draws from every single part of the body. And we don't do that. We tell 98% of the body to sit down and listen to what a few people have. And I'm not saying teaching is wrong. Sometimes that is the right thing to do. But when that's all we do, we're not activating the other gifts in the body. So I think that's easier to change in our home than it is in the church because the formality and stuff. But in your own home, you're, you, you can decide to do this. You know? So I went home with that. And I repented to my own house. And I said, what would happen if I just helped my own kids step into this? You know, who are they? What does God call them to do? I don't want them to um, always just think that they're subject to me as a dad and they can't ever be what God created them to be. So let's balance that out, Jesus. What do I do? Uh, My my own daughter at the time was 14, and she was um, struggling with some of these same issues, especially with the, what her friends were saying. That, that same topic was a part of their conversation. Um, but she, she voiced it a little differently when I asked her. And she acknowledged to me that most of the kids that I'm friends with, they do have a lot of discernment. And they don't necessarily call it discernment, but they just know when something's right, when something's wrong. You know? And so they're, they're often living something that they know is wrong. But it's like, it's okay. You know, they just, they, they just, they just accept everything anymore, you know, even if they don't like it. And uh, so they're, they have an ability, though, to love unconditionally, or they have an ability to hate viciously. They can do one, one or both of those easier than most others can. Anyway, she said something profound. She said, Daddy, when I, 
when I bring my friends over to the house, they're all a little scared of you because they they know that you uh, you know do this full time and they know that you've got some discernment. You probably know when they're not doing when they're not doing right, and they're just a little scared to engage with you. And I'm like, well, I don't want them to be scared of me. But I said, you know, I have noticed that most of the time when you bring a friend over, you head straight to your room and you shut the door and you two will just spend the rest of the evening in there playing and having fun and listening to music and whatever. And I said, you're not engaging with the household. You're not bringing your friends into the house. You're bringing them into your room. You know? So I said, let's try something. Why don't you bring them into the living room and let's just engage with the with your friends as a family instead of just you. She goes, well, what is that going to do? What are you going to do? I said, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to enjoy life. She goes, you won't tell them that they're doing something wrong? Well, not if you don't want me to. But I said, <laughs> I, said I want them to know that I love them. I want them to know that I care for them, that they don't need to be afraid of me. I, I want them to know that they can talk to me about stuff if they, if they want to and need to. I said, they don't know that now. So let's, Let's work on that. And I said, um, first of all, I don't mind you going to your room with them because sometimes I know you probably need that too, but let's try to balance this out a little bit. <coughs> and so we did. Um, first girl she brings over is same age as her, um, really messed up, um, off and on with drugs, lots of stuff going on in her life. It's very, very sweet, nice young lady. Um had pink hair, you know, had had a tattoo. And my daughter wanted a tattoo, and I didn't want her to get a tattoo. So the first thing happens, we're sitting in the living room. Her friend is sitting there, and she goes, Mr. Benz, uh, you don't like my tattoos, do you? <laughs> and I go, what makes you think I don't like your tattoos? She goes, well, because, you know, Rebecca wants one, and you told her that she couldn't have one. I said, well, that's not the reason why I told her she couldn't have one. And uh, so I said, actually, I, I do like some of your tattoos because they're very artistic. And I know you're an artist. I said, I'm not too sure about your pink hair. <laughs> but if you like it, I think it looks good on you. I just, I'm not sure that's really who you are. But that doesn't mean I don't like it. And she sort of laughed and she goes, well, what do you think? I, what color do you think I should have? I said, well, I think you might. I w I'd like to know why you don't like the color that God gave you. Because uh, I remember seeing you that way when you were a little baby and you were a beautiful baby. And uh, she didn't say a word. She just heard that. Later she goes off. They go, they go to Re Rebecca's room and I let them have their time alone too. But we had that you know, 10 minutes of engagement it was just lighthearted, nothing bad, but it changed her heart in a way because she realized, wow, your, your dad's not, you know, he doesn't think that I'm a bad person or he doesn't dislike me. And, uh, my, my daughter reminded her like, you wouldn't be in this house if my dad didn't want you in this house. Like, you know, he, he really does care about you. Hmm. Well, a week later, literally just a week later, that same girl tried to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. yeah. And 
but I had been spending that week talking to my daughter about what her gifts were, what her part of the body was, how does God want her to, to function. And it's one thing to say, well, I know how to do something. Let me teach you how to do it. It's another to say, this is what you have that I don't have. And you need to step into it fully. And so the, the one thing my daughter has that I don't is she has a gift of mercy and she's got an unconditional amount of love. And I'm, I have a deficit in both of those things. So I had been talking to her about, about those gifts and how she could activate them fully and be who she is. And also the balance of like, if you do that and I do this, then that's a good matchup. Like if I gave somebody a prophetic word and you you add mercy to it, it's really profound how that mixes. And so what happens is she's in the living room uh, by herself. And all of a sudden I hear this blood curdling scream and I go running in there. My daughter is on the floor with her phone in front of her. And she's shaking. She's just shaking like this, holding her phone. And she's like, "Daddy, daddy, daddy!" You know, and she's trying to dial nine one one. You know, and she can't even dial nine one one because her hands are shaking so bad. And she's like, "My friend's trying to kill herself right now." You know, and she's like, "I just got a message from her. She's killing herself right now." And so I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, "Peace, be still." I said, you can't hear God clearly if you're not at peace and rest. Take a deep breath. Let's ask Jesus what to do. This is what I do well. And so I knelt down. We both took a deep breath and we said, Jesus, help us. We need to know what to do right now. And then... Now she was able to dial 911. I said, go ahead and dial 911. We'll keep praying while we get them on the phone. I said, listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you, though, because he's going to use both of us. So she dials 911. We let them know what the situation is. And they basically said there's not anything we can do unless you know where she is. And she realized in the, the message that she got, there was no indication of where she was. So they nine one one hangs up, tells her we're going to contact the police and we'll be on alert. Call us back if you hear anything. She said, basically, they told her call everybody you know, call her mom and dad, uh, you know, get everybody looking for her because you, if you don't know where she is, we can't help. And and they alerted the police in case anybody else called in. Um, so our next phone call was her mom and dad and. While I'm talking to her mom and dad, my daughter's praying. Just Jesus, help us. Tell us what to do. Now, she's always exhibited this gift of mercy. She's always had this unconditional love. But I had not seen other gifts of the Spirit explode in her life that much. I just knew she had a few others. And all of a sudden, she looks at me and she goes, Dad, I'm hearing something really crazy. I don't know what it is. I was like, well, what does it sound like? She goes, it sounds like a washing machine running in the background. Yeah. Why am I hearing that? You know, I said, it's probably the Holy Spirit telling you something we need to know. Yeah. So I said, let's both pray in the Spirit for a minute. 
know, I said, where could she be? We need to know where she is. You know, let's ask Jesus to, to go to her right now and stop her from doing this. And then let's also send out some angels. And then let's ask God if he wants to use us to tell us what to do next, either who to call or where to go. So we prayed one more time together and she kept hearing this rumbling sound like a washer and dryers running. She says it again. And I said, well, I'm seeing something. I'm not hearing anything, but I'm seeing something. I'm seeing a door and it has a sign on it that says mop closet. I said, let's go get in the car. And we jumped in the car and we said, all right, Jesus, you gave us a mop closet and you gave us the sound of a washer and dryer. What else? And then I got an address, exact address. Turns out that's an apartment complex. So we drove to as fast as we could to that apartment complex. While we're headed there, I'm saying to my daughter, do you know anyone that lives here? Would she have any reason to be here? And she goes, I don't know anybody that lives here. I've never seen her at this place. We pulled into the apartment complex. It was only about three miles away. We pulled in. Um, and I told her, I said, call 911 again. Give them this address. We don't know where she is. No. We haven't found her yet, but I said, just give her this address. That, that Just tell them that she might be there you know, in case anybody else is, is calling in right now, too. Nothing else. That they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. They can't do anything else unless they know what where she is. It's not an apartment. We just had the address. You know. So we get there. We jump out. She hangs up again for 911. Uh, I drive into it. Uh, as soon as I see the a sign says office, and then I drive a little further, I see a sign that says laundry mat. I pulled in there. We both jumped out on a dead run. We ran into the laundry mat. We heard washers and dryers running. And I, the first thing I see when I run in is a door that says mop closet on it. And I hit that door with all of my strength and knocked it off the hinges. And there was this young lady already slipped both wrists and she's bleeding out on the floor. Um, now, the thing that was interesting for, for me, that was just wonderful testimony of helping save a life because she ended up living. You know? The first thing that girl said when she looked up, she goes, how did you know where I was? Because she had purposely picked a spot where she didn't think anybody would find her. Yeah. And her actual words were, how in the hell did you find me? Hmm. And Rebecca said, hell had nothing to do with it. Jesus led us right here because you're going to live and not die. Amen. And we still had to save her, though. She was, she was slipping into a coma, and then the 911 hadn't got there yet, so... When we got them, we're like, we're five minutes from the hospital. The, the ambulance is probably going to be 15 minutes to get to us. And um, I, I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but I just said, I, I think we've got to go ahead and just throw her in the car and get her there. So I just picked her up and carried her, and my daughter drove us while I'm holding her wounds together and trying to tourniquet them. Um, we, we made it to the hospital with her in that shape, and she lived. Uh, while she was in a semi-coma that night until they gave her a blood transfusion, she had a face-to-face -face with Jesus. You know? And that's what she really needed. You know? 
But I don't say that because that's what saved her life. I say that because that's what the body of Christ had held back from her. We had not taught her how to have that. It took a crisis for her to find that. It should have been at the altar. It should have been when we prayed for her. It should have been when she got saved. It should have been when she got filled with the Holy Spirit. We should have given her some simple instructions on how to engage with God and find it. Instead, she's finding the world first. And so I've, I've, I've carried this stuff very deeply anymore. That, that child means a lot to me now because um, I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what rescued my daughter. Because at that moment, my own daughter transformed and she was making decisions that could have gone the wrong way. But she realized that God wanted to use her, that he wanted to do things with her, that this, was the, this wasn't just dad's lifestyle. This was something that she was called to do also. And she really stepped into being who she was created to be that day. All <clears throat> um, told, I think that this is simple and we make it complicated. So I, I want to kind of, you know, take this back to very simple steps. Number one, when you get saved, you need to ask God, who am I? What did you create me for? And he'll answer that. And then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should help you as leaders to engage with the Holy Spirit and know the benefit. Even if your church preaches against it, it's right there in the scriptures. Go find the scriptures that that talk about it. Because God's still doing today the things that he did in the Word. We just don't see it often enough because not enough of us are exercising that power with God. But every kid, when they get saved, needs to step into who they were who they were created to be and then be gifted to do it. That doesn't mean they're grown up yet. So they're still going to need a lot of encouragement and some correction and some teaching and some training, but we we're doing a good job of trying to teach and train them, but we don't give them the first parts first. So their identity really should be the first fruit of their salvation. And then we should teach them and train them to help them make sure that they stay in, in steps with that. But along the way, we can't forget to let them uh, exercise those spiritual muscles and activate their own human spirit and step into being what they were created to be. And I do that best by receiving them as a part of the body and giving them a voice in my own house and letting them know that uh, if they believe something's from the Lord, then we, they need to activate it and they need to uh, supply it or speak it out or whatever it is, even if it's a correction to me. Even if it's a rebuke to dad or to pastor or to whatever, because they have a voice in the body of Christ because Jesus gave it to them, not me. Yeah. And the, <clears throat> the, the world is, imbar- is embarking them, just invading them in every way possible, and they don't have the defenses to it because we're sort of in cleanup mode ourselves instead of really modeling what a family looks like and what a church family looks like in a fully functional way. And uh, we got a lot of room to go. Yeah. Oh, Tim, thanks so much for, for all these stories and anecdotes and, and advice. And um, yeah, it really hits home because, you know, the body of Christ is struggling. Families are struggling. We're, 
we're burdened so much with so many things from so many angles. And like you said, we're, we, we can get the head knowledge and the information, but a lot of us don't have that experience of an encounter with God that we can pass along. And it seems to me like we, we ought to be seeking God for that. Show us what that looks like, because I can't teach something that I haven't experienced. You know, I, I think of even, um, the few months that my family and I, with just a handful of others have tried to do, um, an organic church experience in our home. And the premise from Frank Viola is to have Christ be the functional head of our meetings. And I confess it like every time we get together, I don't know what that means. And none of us do, because honestly, when we have grown up going to the traditional church, we aren't taught that. We're taught to look to the leadership. And like you said, the 2% that are that are leading and the rest of us are passive. So it seems to me like we need to be asking God to, to show us those experiences that are the excitement and the, and the life abundant, because the world looks pretty attractive when you compare it to just a bunch of information. This is the information you need. Well, the world looks a lot more exciting then. But right. life with God is supposed to be a lot more abundant, and it's not. We're we're struggling with our thoughts, with our actions, with with old ways of doing things, and our Christianity is getting dumbed down. And uh, I know it seems like it's a pattern. Every time, every time we get together, we're like, "Ooh, next time, let's talk about this." And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about. Um, picking your brain next time if you would we we'd love to have you back this is just so great to to have you but what are some of those daily disciplines you do cuz i know it it can become very rote to say okay this is my time with god i need to do this i'm going to read this or um i was challenged recently to develop a prayer list i got 58 things on my list now and it's growing <laughs> And sometimes it does feel monotonous and like it's legalistic almost to just go through that list. And I don't go through it every day. And it it can even be discouraging to look at that list and go, wow, these are all the things that I want different. Um, But I was encouraged to to try that again because I want to have a record of what where things are and what God's going to do. And if I don't have them written down or I use my phone you know, when I use a notepad app to do it, then how do I know, how am I going to have a record of what I've been praying about and what's important, you know, to me uh-huh. at the time. But um, anyway, so thinking about next time, if, you, if you'd like to come back, uh, we'd love to have you thinking about what are those things that you do to build in the discipline to keep that relationship with God fresh. And, and I know even in the spiritual realm stuff, most of us can't relate to that, but we should, we ought to be praying, like you said, for those things, but maybe we're not going to be gifted there. So what are some of those practical things that, that you do that keeps your relationship with God fresh that everyone can do? And then I'm also kind of thinking about, you know, what started this whole journey of getting in touch with you was your interview with Rob Skiba and you mentioning some of those things that God was challenging you like David, search me and know me that you had to lay down. 
so that you could do those amazing exploits for God at Jekyll Island in the Middle East, tearing down these these Canaanite altars. And so I would love to um, have you share, if you could, sometime about that and what you had to do to get your heart connected with God. And then maybe press you for a few anecdotes that you didn't talk about with Rob about some, maybe some of those, those Middle East experiences and, and some of those uh, supernatural exploits for tearing down these altars. Cause you know, our, our whole days of Noah show is based on this idea of Genesis six and the sin of the watchers coming down and how defiled the world and humanity became from that and how it's continuing into the times we live in. Um, so I'd love to hear some more stories on that. But um, wrapping up today, I wondered if I could press you to just share a, a prayer of blessing over our listeners. Every you know, parent, child, um, friend, hurting person, if you could just speak some blessings over everyone that hears and uh, God knows what we need and what, what we need next, right? The, the, the thing we need fixed next. Right. Um, right. So if you could just do that and then we'll wrap up. Father, I, I just call out to you, Abba, Father, I ask you to Look down upon every single person that listens to this program. And out of your cloud of glory, would you enable them with your blessing to have access to you? I ask you to open their ears so they can hear and open their eyes so they can see and give them a heart of understanding. Bless them with the desire to know you. Let it become an insatiable desire in them. Oh, that they might know you in the fullness of your being. And answer them with your own heartbeat. With your tender, kind words. With life itself. I pray that you would bless them with the breath that you breathe, that they would have an atmosphere of heaven in their journey as they seek after you. I pray that you would also give them a pure heart, take their heart from them and give them a purity of heart. For blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see you. I pray that you would impart to them just that desire to speak to you daily, to hear from you daily like bread that they need. That you'd make them hungry for your presence and open the heavens over their head Make it easier for them to come in and find you. Invite them into your cloud. And I also pray that in the same way that you've given us access to your city, may you bless us with grace to give you access to our cities. 
that you might transform the places that we dwell in, change the hearts of the people to bring us into covenant with you. I bless them with the blessing of a son, with the blessing of a right hand, that now they would be most favored by you, that you would lavish your heart upon them until they just melt into your chest and say, I love you the same way you love me. With their eyes open, with their ears open, I I ask you to bless them with the identity that you created them with. Help them to discover what you designed when you made them, what you wanted to see, what you desired, and that you are so ecstatic with what you've created that you just cannot look at them without leaping and jumping and shouting. Oh, let them see that. Let them know that. Let them experience it so that they can step into who you created and bring back to you the delight of your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Amen. Um, real quick, it, uh, I hate to add this at the end of a prayer, but where what is the best place if people wanted to reach out to you? I know you got some YouTube videos. Is there a... Is there a a best way to follow you or interact with you or I, I do have a Facebook page that's Jubilee Covenant Storehouse. Um you can find that on that. I'm not putting much on there, but I want people to follow me there. That's gonna become a website also and uh, we're designing it right now. Um I'm a little slow in getting the website finished because I've been dealing with the issues with my mom for a while. Um yeah. but my email is the best way to send me a message and get a response back. Uh, and that's the, you, you guys can post that if you want to. I, I prefer the I am Timothy sure. at sbcglobal.net uh, for just general use. The, um, that's also linked to, um, if you want to you know, make any donations, whatever, you can find me on PayPal or Cash App and Venmo through my email. Um I'm, I'm trying not to do a lot on Facebook, but I do have a few Facebook lives. Uh, if you Google me, it's a little hard to find everything because I've got it scattered out and uh, about 10 different ministries have stuff of mine that's streaming on theirs. Same way we're doing this program for you guys. But um, I, I want all of that compiled on, on YouTube and on my website. So I've got a, not just a backup, but it'll be all of be in one source for people to help them. Um, and I'm, I'm working on that as much as I can. I need a couple of, a little bit of creative help with some of that. If anybody wants to volunteer, um, I've got to have, a, a, I've gone through about five different web designers so far. And part of it seems to be not the inability to find somebody talented at doing it, but just to find the right person because, uh, I keep having people say that they'll help and then we get partly into it and, and they they have circumstances come up and I haven't been able to finish it. And some of that has been a eye-opening to me to just feel like there's a timing on it that God has, has really not to, right now my priority has been my mother. So, um, But I, I do get frustrated 
because sometimes I get messages from people saying, hey, I, I couldn't find something and then somebody told me about this and I didn't know it was available. And I'm trying to get all that combined in one place. <clears throat> so bear with me, but on, on the Facebook page, you can find me under my name. You can also find uh, Jubilee Covenant Storehouse. And I've got that set up as uh, just something that I, um, I want followers and I can engage. And every once in a while, I jump in there and just and just talk to people. And uh, I want to leave that open source so people can kind of see the dialogue back and forth. So if you, if you ask a question uh, and I answer it, it'll be available for everybody else to see too. Perfect. Yeah, well, we encourage everyone listening to go uh, to check that out online. Um, get in touch with Tim, and uh, yeah, just just uh, be blessed. You know, we're we're the we're the body of Christ trying to build each other up, and we we love having you here, Tim, to uh, to encourage us and give us some wisdom. So, Thank you. yeah, I with that, uh, we'll wrap up. I took yeah. a bunch of notes. Go ahead, Luke. <laughs> oh, good. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, Tim, and um, <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thanks so much again for your time, and uh, you have a blessed rest of your Sunday. All right, you guys have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. All right, bye bye. listening to the days of noah podcast thanks again for tuning in this week if you get value out of this podcast if you enjoy these episodes do me a favor and put a little bit of value back in by sharing it with family and friends and giving it a five-star review and following us on your favorite podcast platform if you'd like to further support us please click the support link at the bottom of the description and choose a support level. You can pick something as low as 99 cents a month. Even that little bit helps us continue to keep the quality of these episodes high and gives us the resources to research and bring on awesome guests like the one you just heard today. As always, God bless and see you next week.